the high conflict personality, they feel wronged a lot and they feel that it comes from someone outside of them. They don't realize that this is their own internal distress and what they feel really upset in the moment. And so they lash out or they blame someone. And and it's just a pattern. And we think of the term high conflict personality as something that comes to us kind of ugly. But a lot of times it presents first with charm. It's just part of the deal. And sort of the bright line here is if the behaviors of this person are things that 90% of other people would never, ever do, then you may be dealing with someone with a high conflict personality. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. Have you ever encountered a person in your life who you couldn't reason with the same way that you could with so many others? Are there some folks that make you act differently or feel like you walk on eggshells around them? Whether it's a co-founder, neighbor, employee, future hire, potential suitor, or a current partner, whether it's a coworker, friend, parent, or that one relative, odds are good that at some point in your relational life, you'll encounter a high conflict personality. Knowing those odds, it's good to have the psychological awareness to know who these folks are and how they work so that you can relate to them in a way that is clear and kind for both them and you. In today's podcast conversation, Megan Hunter, co-founder of the High Conflict Institute, helps us understand these high conflict personalities, also known as HCPs. She gives us insight into how the HCP operating system works and shares tools and approaches to adapt ourselves to them when we realize that we have one of these fine folks in our life. Without the knowledge of how these personalities operate, you will be less able to adapt yourself when an HCP situation arrives in your relational life. And navigating a crazy-making relationship with one of them will be incredibly difficult. For those of us with codependent tendencies or folks who have trouble establishing boundaries, HCPs can be especially challenging. And if the HCP is a partner, parent, or a family member, these relationships are especially heartbreaking. For some of us, as we move through life, learning that no is a complete sentence is a big lesson to learn. Yet if you choose to have a relationship with HCPs, setting limits and putting boundaries in place is a keystone behavior in order to keep your sense of self intact. In this conversation, we talk about the five types of high conflict personalities, how 90% of the people that you meet you can trust, and how to notice a high conflict personality as well as how the HCP brain works differently and what that means for interactions with them, what to do if you find yourself as a target of blame, and how to arm yourself with knowledge and tools to use with these personalities, as well as what not to do. We often talk about the work of rebooting your leadership as individual work you can't do alone. If each member of your leadership team is pursuing the work of self-inquiry and actualization, that's wonderful. But to create the company that you'd all like to work for, you must also create the opportunity for the collective to grow. Experiences like facilitated leadership groups, off-site retreats, 
Organizational change explorations and immersive leadership trainings move the organization closer to its fullest expression of the inherent values. At Reboot, we're here to support you and your team members in bringing forth the best that you have, using everything that emerges from organizational life, both the challenges and successes, as opportunities to grow. Head to reboot.io slash team experiences to learn more and more about Reboot's virtual and in-person team offerings. Hi, Megan. I am so glad to be talking to you today. Thank you for having me. I'm just thrilled to be with you and on, on your show. <laughs> I think I have used your work so much with clients. I just think this conversation is going to be lovely. And before we jump in too deep down all the various channels that we can go, I was wondering if you could share a little bit about yourself and, and maybe what you do and how you got into this work. Well, it's a kind of an interesting long story, but I, I'll, I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. <laughs> I was a child support caseworker in a little county attorney's office in a little county in western Nebraska. You know, in, in small towns, it's hard to, to get, you know, big career jobs and uh, you kind of take what you can get and where you can fit in. So I started doing child support for the county attorney and instantly fell in love with it just because, you know, you can get people to agreement. So I guess I kind of had that natural inclination um, within myself at that point. So I became a trained mediator and uh, not too long after I had an opportunity for a job in Arizona at the Arizona Supreme Court as the child support specialist, which was a little different than being a caseworker. It was it was more along the lines of economics and the the the, um, the child support guidelines and leading legislative and policy uh, that kind of thing. So it was while you know I was uh, leading legislative committees and working with family court judges, family law attorneys, and mediators, and all of the stakeholders that comprise family law. I noticed that there was one common thread throughout all of it, and that was this case called the high conflict case. And it seemed to cause a lot of people problems, <laughs> um, including the judges. So the judges would get blamed and it was only the high conflict cases that were in court and they seemed to come back all the time and they were called frequent, we, we called them frequent filers. And, and it seemed no one could figure them out and, and no one could understand why you know, they really didn't seem to always put their children's needs first and they're back in court frequently. So I sort of made it my mission uh, because I had a business background. I was always interested in, you know, making things more efficient and processes. And so I thought if we can get this one figured out, it will really help the court system. And uh, so that's when I came across a, a man named Bill Eddy, who was a family law attorney who'd previously been a therapist and figured out that there was such a thing as a high conflict personality. Um, so I brought him in to train Arizona's family court judges and custody evaluators and um, separately. And uh, after that, I just knew that this was information that everyone around the world needed to have. And thus High Conflict Institute was born in 2008 and we've been training and doing lots of things around the world since then. Oh, that's so awesome. And such, I think, such important work. I think in the book, in the five types of people who can ruin your life in that book, it's, it's referenced as a, it's kind of like this basic knowledge of there are different personalities out there. And we can't assume that everybody is like the 90% of the people that 
we encounter during the day. Right. And, you know, you, you nailed it right there. 90% of, of people would not behave in the ways that people with high conflict personalities do. And let me just say right from the outset that we are not, uh, you know, denigrating or demonizing or diagnosing anyone um, with this terminology, high conflict personality. It's just a description of a pattern of behavior. And, you know, like you said, Ali, in a way we're trying, we treat everyone the same. We know that some people are more difficult and we use our best skills um, with them or we just avoid them. <laughs> um, but but I, I think what's important about our work at High Conflict Institute is that we really focus on the, let's say 10 to 15, maybe 20% of the population who have a different operating system. And so we can't work with them the same way we do with everyone else. We keep trying to work with them that way, but we run into a lot of problems because we just don't know the rules to their operating system. And once we do, then we can have some success. And so that's what we do um, every day in our trainings and in our work is help people understand that not everyone's the same. <laughs> like, you know, in school, you can't teach one way to the entire classroom because there might be that kid with dyslexia or a different learning style. So you have to, you know, make accommodations. And that's basically what we have to do with these folks. I really love how you framed that. And uh, I have seen clients who have struggled with this uh, or worked with clients who have struggled with this um, with their with their co-founders, with customers, like clients who lead kind of uh, peer group type formats or mastermind kind of formats. And, you know, there's always that one person or that one personality who makes it a little bit more challenging, like across the board for mm. everyone. And, you know, even co-founders who, you know, are partnered um, and also run a business, right? So there's like, it's the kind of compounded you know, the effects of having kind of a high conflict personality in the mix of that and, you know, trying to either navigate that on a day-to-day -day basis or even separate. And then how do we do that just from a purely business point of view? But there are so many ways in which, you know, these, this has shown up, um, you know, even in, in, in our area, which is, you know, working with entrepreneurs, you know, at, at all stages of their growth. And so, it is everywhere, you know, where there are humans, these skills are useful. Yeah, they are. And, you know, I, I didn't, I guess I didn't mention the leap from working with divorcing clients and child support and family law into workplace. And, you know, it was no surprise, I guess, that people who go through divorces also have jobs. <laughs> and they, these are relationship disorders. They have really poor interpersonal skills. Uh, not they, they don't even know it, but they do. Um, so they take those poor skills into their relationships and crater those. And then they also take that into the workplace or into the neighborhood or into their business. And they really cause a lot of havoc. So let's say you have someone who is um, on a team at, at work and it's that one high conflict personality, which they're, they're blamers, unmanaged emotions, they have extreme behaviors and all or nothing thinking, right? Mm -hmm. So I always think of that team, um, you know, I remember in business school learning uh, about how any group of people form. And it, it starts with forming, 
norming, storming, and performing. Yeah. <laughs> and with the high conflict person, you're going, they're going to get stuck at storming and that team is going to stay in storming or the, those co-founders are going to just stay in storming. And uh, so you'll find often that, you know, if, let's say it's a business partnership or they've co-founded some tech company or whatever, um, and you, one of them has a high conflict personality, the, the other person either has to get skilled up or else they have to take a back seat, right? Yes. They get skilled up and manage that relationship, which most people don't know how to do, or else they get completely walked on. Yes. Um, at the end of the day, it's not healthy for the humans and it's not healthy for the enterprise. Right. And when things are stuck in that storming phase, uh, there's no forming or performing or norming and performing. And uh, as you said, it's not good for the enterprise and like the whole team suffers. They do because people just don't know what to do. And, and of course, all of us have a different conflict style. Um, some people are conflict avoiders and they're passive. The high conflict person will just, you know, roll over them. Right? They just they dominate. <laughs> and, um, and then you have the more aggressive folks that like to explain or argue, or they might be a bit of a right fighter themselves. And that's just going to escalate the conflict and aggravate that HCP, we call them high conflict person. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it will typically just stay in that phase um, unless someone gets skilled up enough to manage that person. And, and some people do it innately, like they just have that, that special skill. But a, an extraordinarily high conflict person is very disruptive and dis some are, are quite destructive. Um, so you'll miss deadlines or lose money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, there can, there can be, a, they're just going to cause you to lose competitive advantage, right? Mm -hmm. Because they take so much time and they, ha they are, they just kind of have a, uh, you know, a toxic wave over the others on the, on the team, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it, it definitely, um, fuels a lot of dysfunction and it can feel Without, without the skills, like, right, without, A, knowing that these types of personalities exist, and then without having the skills to be able to navigate and manage this effectively, an unsuspecting person who's in the 90% of kind of, you know, non-high conflict people will look at that and go, why can't I reason with this person? How do I, like, I've been doing everything I do with all my other relationships, why is this not working? And so there's, there's a special, like you said, there's a special skill required in kind of like rec a recognizing that, oh, this is what's going on and B knowing how to really go in. Uh, and like you said, how do I work with the operating system that I'm in front of here? Right. And the, the issue, I guess the, the human condition really is that we are conditioned to operate one way with, with almost everyone. The thing with the high conflict personality is it's not obvious because they're your, you know, they're your uh, business partner, you're their coworker, your friend, um, neighbor, and they don't, you know, come with a sign that says, hey, I'm going to be really difficult and disruptive and I'm going to make you feel really badly and you will not know what to do with me. <laughs> so people with high conflict 
personalities don't carry that sign. But if you know what to look for, what the clues are, you'll figure out what that sign would say if they were holding it, you know, and it's, it's basically HCPs will tell you who they are if you're listening, if you're paying attention. And the, so the kind of getting back to defaults, you know, we, you and I have a default system and we're used to dealing with people pretty much in one way. There are variations, but pretty much we have one blueprint for it. So if someone is doing something wrong or, or let's say they, you just have a question about something they're doing, you go knock, knock on the office door and sit down to, to ask the question and they blow up at you and you're like, what just happened? <laughs> right. And so you keep asking them questions or just dis- defending yourself or explaining. Um, and they, you go away and you wonder why didn't that work? You know, and it's because that's our default of dealing with the 90% of people that really don't behave this way. So when you encounter one of those other 10%, your own default system kicks into gear Mm -hmm. and it's hard to take that step back and say, okay, I have to do something different here every time I interact with this person. And it's really a lot about being prepped so you can change your own default so you don't get, you know, step on a landmine. Yeah. So Megan, can you help us kind of get a sense of what is the landscape here for these, the HCPs? Like, do, do some of these personalities have names and how do we begin to talk about this and understand it? Um, there are five different types of, of personalities that, um, and this is all, I give all the credit to my co-founder at High Conflict Institute, Bill Eddy. Um, he's, he his psychiatric background, uh, being a, a, a licensed clinical social worker working in, in psychiatric hospitals, really helped him understand this high conflict personality. So, and kind of get it boiled down to five personality types. And so the the five types are are personality disorders that you would find in the, you know, DSM-5, uh, the, kind of the Bible for the mental health professions. And, uh, you know, we try to keep it pretty simple and we don't want people out there diagnosing others with personality disorders because that's not what this is about. So uh, the narcissistic HTP fears feeling inferior. And so when as soon as they feel inferior and this stuff happens in like half a second, mm-hmm. literally, they have to they need to get back to their safe state, their default state, which is to feel superior. So they're going to put someone down or they're going to try to get the light shine on them and they're going to blame someone. Um, the histrionic personality fears feeling ignored. They really need to be the center of attention. And if they have that blame component, making them sort of this high conflict personality, uh, that's going to be their instant thought. As soon as they feel ignored and not the center of attention, they do what it takes. They blame you know, whatever it takes to get back to that default safe space. Uh, the antisocial is um, also kind of used um, interchangeably with sociopath. And, you know, this is uh, this is a tough one. <laughs> they're all tough, but uh, they're, they fear being dominated. So they if they feel in this threatened mode, they need to d- dominate um, to feel back to their default state. So they're going to want to destroy you and they will say it they and they'll do <laughs> they might destroy you literally financially mm-hmm. right or 
um, bodily harm, lots of threats, but they, they, they seek destruction. Um, I'm spending a little bit more time on this one because this, it can be uh, really, really scary, but this is who, this is why we need law enforcement in the courts Mm -hmm. (laughs) is to stop their behavior because they, they don't stop. Um, and they will lie when they know they can get caught and they will really confuse you because they, they present with charm a lot of times and, um, they're can be pretty awful. And then the paranoid personality fears feeling betrayed or exploited. And so they're super hypervigilant um, and, and really expect people are out to get them and, and all of that. So they, they all then react in this way of blame, all or nothing, extreme behaviors and unmanaged emotions. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it would be worthwhile to kind of talk a little bit about um, how, how, do, how do we identify <laughs> these 10 percent, the yeah. other 10 percent. So um, my co-founder at HCI, um, Bill Eddy, came up with what he calls the web method. He's big into acronyms. And mm-hmm. um, I, I know some people think it's, it's kind of dorky, but there's a reason for it. And it's because um, when we're around someone with this type of personality, we can be emotionally hooked because there are things going on between our brains that we don't realize are going on. So I kind of think about it like Wi-Fi, yes. you know, your, your amygdala and my amygdala are communicating when by listening to each other's tone of voice, uh, looking at each other's body language, hand movements, facial expressions, and it's putting us on alert if, you know, the amygdala thinks we're in, in danger. So the web method is uh, listening to their words And like I said, people will tell you who they are and they'll do this with their words and with their stories. So um, their words might be things like, you don't care about me. You've never cared. I feel disrespected. You disrespected me. Um, I demand respect. Uh, They'll use words like abandoned, acknowledged. I need you to acknowledge me. Um, uh, You betrayed me. Just pretty strong things like that. And, and people who are not high conflict, of course, will say these words as well. But what you're doing is listening for those in combination with blame. Are they, because HCPs focus on a target of blame. So are they blaming people constantly and are they always in that victim role? Now, the, the, the thing here that's kind of nuanced is all of us blame <laughs> yeah. because right, we, we think we're, we're not at fault in a lot of situations. And so we might have that argument and, and defend ourselves um, and say it's someone else's fault. But the high conflict personality, they feel wronged a lot and they feel that it comes from someone outside of them. They don't realize that this is their own internal distress and what they feel really upset in the moment. And so they lash out or they, you know, blame someone. And, and it's just a pattern. It, it's, it's who they are. They keep telling you, blame, blame, blame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, so it may sound pretty normal in a story with a, you know, with anyone. But if you listen long enough, uh, you'll find out if it's a pattern or not and if they take responsibility. So it's the words they say. Um, are they all or nothing? You know, like I'll never speak to her again. Um, it's 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 kind of interesting. Once you start listening for them, you hear it. And it just watch a lot of reality TV, and you'll hear it a lot. 
(laughs) (laughs) It's a great training ground, believe me. Um, And then, so that's the words. And then um, emotions, you pay attention to your own emotions, right? Do you feel like you like this person very quickly or dislike them very quickly? That's a red flag. Uh, Do you feel charmed? red flag. Mm -hmm. We think of the term high conflict personality as something that comes to us kind of ugly, but a lot of times it presents first with charm. Mm -hmm. It's just part of the deal. And then, you know, do you feel afraid or um, like you're in your own fight or flight? Those are things to pay attention to. And then you watch their behaviors. And sort of the bright line here is if the behaviors of this person are things that 90% of other people would never, ever do, then you may be dealing with someone with a high conflict personality, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's 90% of uh, things that 90% of people, other people would never do. And then they make a lot of excuses for it. So you ask yourself, are they, ma- you know, listen for any excuses about any behaviors they had that were really strong. Like, you know, I hit that person's car because they were, they were so awful to me, right? Um, or I destroyed the hard drive on the company computer um, and it was somebody else's fault, right? So it's just all these little excuses. That's the, that's the main way. And I, honestly, if you just listen and pay attention, that's the main thing because they will tell you. Yeah. And I think um, the other important thing you, you really kind of hit on there was charm can be such a part of that. And like you said, these people don't come out wearing the sign that says, hey, hey, watch out for me. I'm high conflict, <laughs> right? Like they come across as like incredibly charming and the relationship can be like kind of nice for maybe a brief, brief period of time before things start getting really weird and you start kind of scratching your brow going, wait, what the hell is going on right now? Right. And a lot of times those people are your, um, you know, high producers, high earners. Um, They bring some special skill to the company that you can't find elsewhere, or it would be really hard or challenging to find elsewhere or cost you a lot more, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're kind of stuck. And, you know, that can uh, be challenging. But at the beginning, they probably came in either overly loaded with charm and you liked them a lot <laughs> or they came in just playing it very cool and seemed very you know reasonable and rational so it's a good idea to take some time to see if that charm is real because there are charming people who are not high conflict and if they are really you know charming it's it can be a nice thing to be around but for HCPs that's that's usually just at the beginning or when they're meeting someone new And I have to say that when I reflect upon my own experience, you know, I came from the upper Midwest, uh, Wisconsin, and in a very suburban, uh, safe, pretty non-threatened kind of life. And there wasn't really a lot of big dysfunction in my family. I always joke that my family puts the fun in dysfunction because we kind of have just kind of like normal, we just have like the normal what happens when a family gets together. But um, when I, when I left home and, and then started, you know, just growing up and and becoming an adult in in the world, like I, I would encounter these personalities, whether it was you know, around the community or, um, you know, dating or, you know, in business situations. 
whether it was, you know, clients or, or partners. And, um, it, and it was always so con- confounding to me because I was like, what is this? And why do I feel so bad right now? For me to encounter, for my, my nervous system to encounter kind of some of these personality types, like it, it really threw me off. And I had to learn, um, it felt like I had to learn so much about what was actually happening on kind of a, like almost psych 101, right? Like what was that, what uh-huh. was that chapter I missed in psych 101 where we, you know, we didn't cover, <laughs> we didn't cover high conflict personalities, but I mean, at this point, like I, it, it's such a real thing. So it, it can be quite shocking. And, you know, I grew up in the Midwest as well and small town of, you know, 1100 people and you just, trust people. Yeah. It's, it was very different to, to find out there were people who, um, I mean, I'm sure there were some in that town, but I, I, maybe when I was growing up, there weren't so much, you know, high conflict people are really increasing (laughs) in society. Um, especially over my lifetime, it's, it's, it's really grown. So, um, it, it, it can be quite shocking to come across folks like this. And, and I think you use the word confounding and it's, it is, it's just like, what on, why, what on earth? So there's your, there's your sign right there. There's your red flag mm-hmm. that I, I don't know what's different about this person, but there's definitely something different. And I think reasonable is a really, um, it's a kind way to say it. You know, there's, there's a passage in, I think it's the Biff book where, um, it speaks to, you know, you can do Biff, even though there's a part of you that would much rather respond completely differently, right? Like you would much rather let the lesser angels of your nature loose on this person and react from that place, <laughs> yes. right? Um, and yet you're only going to get a high from that for 20 minutes. And, um, and so reacting that way isn't going to work and being reasonable isn't going to work. So it's like, what, what are the tools we have for actually working with this in a very clear, concise and kind way? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you, you nailed it about, you know, we don't want to always (laughs) respond in a nice way. We, we, because we're human and, and we're, we can be reactive. You know, these, this is all stuff that's going on between your brain and their brain and they're, they're bouncing off of each other. So when that other person gets upset, the, the, you know, the bridge from reacting brain to, um, problem solving brain gets shut down and they're just stuck in this reactive mode. And that's where the blame and the all or nothing and the unmanaged emotions and extreme behaviors come from. Well, what happens then in that moment for them is their, you know, their brain's all fired up. They, they look angry. They feel angry. Uh, their tone of voice probably is coming across angry or condescending or loud. And your amygdala picks all this up and says, whoa, (laughs) problem, and shuts down your bridge to your problem-solving brain. And now you're emotionally hooked and a little fired up, right? Mm -hmm. And you might have your heart, your heart rate goes up, you feel that "Mm," in your gut, and you want, you're in your reactive brain. So it's very much part of being a human to react when we're in fight or flight, when we're under that kind of stress. Um, but you have to step back in that moment. And, and the way I've, I've started talking about it is when you have a strong feeling, 
that's the time to step back and reassess. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that strong feeling might be your heart rate has increased. You have that feeling in your gut. You feel that zinger when you get that email or that text or whatever. Um, or when that person speaks to you in a certain way or, you know, causes this problem, you, most people will have a strong feeling for that. And that's your sign to say, okay, I'm emotionally hooked or I'm afraid. I, you know, I feel like running from the room. I feel like hiding under the desk or I feel like fighting. I feel like saying, screw you. Um, we're, we're going to hash this out. Those are all the things you don't want to be because you're, you're, you're reacting. And even if you're not trapped in your reactive brain, you're, you still have access to problem solving. You still might be in your default of doing things the way you do with everyone else. And you just can't do that with with HCPs. You have to adapt and use different skills. And one of those is BIF that you mentioned. So should we talk about BIF? Please. I think BIF is one of the handiest things ever. I've handed it to my, the woman who cuts my hair. I've, I've given it to like so many people in my life and it's, and it's immediate. It's Thank like you. immediate relief for the high conflict personality. Yes. Yeah. It is. It's so amazing when people see see it, try it in action, see it in action. Like, you know, I'll do a lot of uh, coaching um, others to, to use BIF and they'll send me an email they've received from some, from some uh, you know, someone in their life that probably has a high conflict personality. This is where I see people get hung up. They think they need to respond to every email or text and you really don't. And if you do respond you know, people think they have to respond to every little accusation and personal attack and allegation. It's a lot of blame, all or nothing, personal attacks, all that. And so it's human nature to want to defend against all of those when someone attacks us personally. So Biff, B is uh, brief. Is it two to five sentences? It needs to be short. Why? Because if you give them more, they'll have more to react back to and argue back with. And the point of a BIF is to stop the communication, <laughs> to stop the back and forth. And the, you know, so is it brief? Um, you, you, you scale it down by then looking at, you know, is it informative? That's the I. Is it informative? Meaning, am I being defensive? Am I arguing? Am I being snarky? Um, or am I just focusing on straight information? Because here's the problem. As humans, we really want to defend ourselves mm -hmm. when someone said, you know, like HCPs make personal attacks about your weight, your height, your education, lack of education, your status, your job, your level at your job, whatever. Right. So you have to just ignore all of that and realize it's verbal vomit. Don't take it personally. You don't have to respond to it, defend it or anything, because it's just going to give them more to to come back at you with, right? So just cross out anything like that that you have in there. And then you look at it, review it to make sure it has a friendly tone, right? And then firm, do you close it firmly? Meaning saying something like, have a good weekend. Now, sometimes, a lot of times you need a response from them. Like you need them to give you more information or whatever. So you don't wanna want to leave it with, um, just an open-ended question. You want them to, you want to give them options so that they have to focus on a choice. What this does is makes them think instead of emote. Mm. Um, so if I ask you a question, right, do you want to go on Friday or Saturday out to dinner? What do you do? You think, you're like, okay, I have to think of my schedule Friday. Okay. I'm not available Friday. I'm doing Saturday. That whole thing is thinking. And that, when you're thinking, you're calmer. Mm. 
right? And so HTTPs need a lot of structure. And so that's how you biff your email. And then you biff it again, because you might be emotionally hooked still and have something still in there that is going to cause problems. So it's really, like you said, it's an amazing tool. Um, if It'll bring so much peace to your life. Yeah, yeah. Isn't the tagline for the High Conflict Institute the missing piece, P-E-A-C-E? Yeah. yeah. And that's how I think a lot about, <laughs> about BIF just as a simple tool. It, it really is a missing piece in, in so many communications. And in our ability to stay um, in our wise adult self and to not get hooked emotionally hooked. I mean, that takes work in and of itself. But again, it, when we're able to do that, um, once we see what we're up against and we're able to take that stance, you know, we can really, we're able to stay with ourselves. We're able to stay so much more clear about wait, what is the desired outcome here and, and what really needs to happen. And it, it helps you kind of cut through all the like you were saying, the, uh, the verbal vomit, you know, those emotionally yeah. charged things that, okay, yeah, someone said that it's coming from their reactive brain, but that's not what we're going at for here. Like we just need to know if we're going out to dinner Friday or Saturday. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's a, it's a hard thing for people to do because one, they, uh, many people believe that this person knows what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They absolutely don't. This is their operating system. It's been developing their entire life. It feels very normal and natural and necessary for them, mm -hmm. right? And the necessary part comes from the brain. You know, it, they're kind of in fight or flight. So it's a, it feels very necessary for them to make a personal attack or to send that email right now or to burst into your office or call you and berate you and scream and yell at you and <laughs> all of those things. So you have to get get un unhooked and, and look at it sort of as a, you know, if you're helping, if you're helping someone, let's say at a, you're volunteering at a, a school that with special needs children, you adapt what you do, mm -hmm. right? Because you know that they can't. And that's really the hardest part with HCPs is we are the ones who have to adapt what we do mm -hmm. Because they can't, because mm -hmm. they don't know. They don't know they have an, a problem. Um, they don't know a better way to relate. This is normal to them. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, and I guess one thing I would caution is to not assume that it's okay to tell someone that they're high conflict. You know, if you're in the middle of an argument with them, <laughs> and you say, do you realize you're a high conflict personality? I, I heard about it on a podcast once. <laughs> I'm glad you're bringing this up. This was my next point that I... <laughs> wanted to make sure we talked about <laughs> yeah you really fit the bill for exactly what um, uh, so don't do that because it never goes well ever because they they you know how would you like someone to tell you that your operating system is flawed and you don't believe it right mm -hmm. they absolutely have no clue so you just avoid all of that and instead you focus on what you can do you know, they're going to take you back to some past old wound, some old complaint or gripe, and you just get them, you know, give them a little ear. We haven't talked about ear yet, but that's give them a little ear statement, which is empathy, attention, and respect, um, you know, which can be three little words. Tell me more. Oh, that sounds hard. That sounds frustrating. And then you move along into something that's a, a, 
uh, a thinking activity, you know, like getting them to focus on a choice, asking them a question. Um, but you start it with ear first, and this is where most people get it backwards. Um, we want, we think we can just keep talking, arguing, defending, explaining, moving into the project, the discussion. And you, but first you have to give a little ear when they're upset mm-hmm. or when they're blaming or emoting. You just, yeah, that might that. That would, that would probably be a frustrating situation for me, too. So uh, do you have any proposals about how we should handle that? What options can you think of, right? Mm-hmm. So you've just shifted now from giving them ear to calm the reactive brain and, and then ask them questions to get them shoved kind of into problem-solving brain. Mm-hmm. The term landmine kind of comes up when I when I think about those scenarios and, um, and even these, you know, these types of personalities, it's like ha- navigating this is, is like, how do I avoid as much as possible those landmines? Or if one goes off, how do I know what's happening and just pull out my resources from my quiver of, okay, I just need some, some ear, some E-A-R, and some, <laughs> and some BIF, some B-I-F-F, and, um, and, you know, you can kind of get through that, like, pretty well unscathed, you know? Yes, yes, and it's, it's interesting because I think people often think that there's this, you know, big magic secret that is huge, to dealing with folks like this because the feelings we get around them and within ourselves are huge, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, and it's it's really some simple little little techniques. And if you're confused and don't know really what to do, just go to ear every time, mm-hmm. right? Or Biff, if it, so, ear is really for for verbal communication to calm them. And then, you know, I call it calm before think. So it's calm with a capital B, the number four and think. And this, if you get this drilled into your own brain or, you know, put a poster on your wall, (laughs) it'll it'll help you remind yourself that you've got to get this other person calm using ear, Mm -hmm. using ear statement before you get them thinking and problem solving. And that's the, it's, so it's an opposites world. And this is, this, that is the magic key that is the secret right there is this is a world of opposites and so you have to do the opposite of with them that you would do with everyone else mm. and what you might feel like doing because you might feel like ripping them <laughs> you know to shreds or whatever or running out of the room so um just rely on on ear you know f- in verbal communication and um biff for for written and that'll get you by it really like you said it's it can be that simple, and I, I, we want to make it a lot harder, but the hardest part is just remembering to do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And speaking of that, if I might, yeah. um, we, you know, we've trained a lot, a lot of people over the years, and people read our books and, you know, take our courses and all kinds of things, but what it, that gives them the understanding and the knowledge, and, you know, it, it's kind of funny, in the first hour, and a, after an hour and a half of training, We'll take a break and people, many people come to us and say, oh, wow, this is really, you know, I understand my, you know, my, one of my employees now or my manager now, or they say, and they usually say, and now I get my family member. Mm-hmm. I know I understand what's going on. I had no idea all this time. So they, they get this level of awareness and, the, and understanding, but you really have to practice, 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 practice. So here's the thing. 
setting uh, HCPs need those around them to set limits and have boundaries more than anyone in the world. And yet they're the people we set the least limits with because we're walking on eggshells yes. around them. And, and setting limits can be anything from you need to know how, you know, let them know how you're to be contacted, when you can be contacted, um, what isn't appropriate. And you, you use ear to do it. Just use ear for everything. <laughs> um, and it, it helps it, it keep it from being personal. You know, you write it into your policies, um, that kind of thing. And um, you just make sure that when they bend the boundaries and they try to go outside of your ethical limits and of your organization, um, you've got to make sure that they don't mm -hmm. and stop them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so this becomes, I mean, in the workplace, this becomes like a reprimandable behavior adjustment. Like this is, this is a need uh, for just order, order in the, how we operate within the organization. And I'm also, as I'm hearing this, I'm also very cognizant of you know, outside the workplace, you know, whether it's at home or with a, uh, like a narcissistic sibling or something who's consistently, um, abusing boundaries or yelling at you or for what, you know, or, or, you know, some other, you know, family situation or even partner, right? Like divorcing, a, yep. an HCP, like it's, it's not easy. No, it's these are the these are the hardest, most destructive, damaging, soul-crushing relationships you will have, uh, and, it, and it really depends on your 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 own conflict style, your personality type, and and what you've been through in your life, mm -hmm. right? It, do you have a trauma background? If you do, you know you may kind of curl up in a ball and let this person abuse you, yeah. <laughs> um, or you may it may have created a real fighter fighting spirit in you, and then you're willing to engage with them all the time and that that will just escalate it so you need to study it and understand it and um whether it's at work or at home because you know we get and i'm, I'm sure you hear this from clients your own clients is these are the folks that we dread we we have a, a knot in our gut driving to the office <laughs> having that phone call with them it's just it, and it grows and grows and you're spending so much time with this person and it, it can be pretty destructive and damaging. And, you know, I, I think for people who are in that situation, learning these skills helps. And it's not a bad idea to go get a little extra help. If you need to talk to an EAP, go see a therapist or, you know, mm -hmm. a life coach or someone who can just help you get right again. Yes. And you said something, you know, mid conversation about these types, it's that they can't do it themselves and we need to be able to do it. And if our own traumas are getting inflamed and we're engaging or we're not clear about where we are and what our own boundaries are, you know, in this relationship or, or how we're contributing to the dynamic, things can go south really fast, even in terms of our own experience of things. It's, it's like you without without that personal self-awareness you're gonna you're gonna step on the fly tape that is an hcp relationship and then uh without tending to your own stuff you're gonna feel like you're the problem uh -huh. and you'll probably end up in the floor in fetal position at some point um <laughs> right right it's so true and i think the information we provide, you know, we'd love to share this information. We'd love people to know it because it really is next level. Mm -hmm. It's kind of getting 
cracking the code yes. with people you haven't been able to figure out. And um, that's what we love to do. And so we, we, we really believe strongly that every company, every organization, every everyone who deals with people needs to have this information and practice it. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, head to reboot.io slash podcast to explore past and present seasons of our podcast conversations. To help more people find and enjoy the Reboot podcast, consider leaving us a review on iTunes. You can find our step-by-step guide for leaving reviews in the show notes of each episode. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you'll never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. Are you looking to accelerate growth for the leaders and managers in your organization? Create a container of safety, inquiry, and accountability from which important insights, innovations, and solutions can emerge with Reboot Circles for Management Teams. Led by a Reboot Coach, these peer circles are designed to support leaders' growth and development through action-based learning using real-life challenges. Group sessions involve a mix of coaching exercises, guided journaling, facilitated group exploration, and time to process pressing issues and concerns. The facilitator holds the space, prompts the dialogue, and models the behavior of effective coaching. Circles for management teams enable rapid learning, teach fundamental coaching skills, and help build internal resiliency among teams so that your company can scale more efficiently. Learn more about how Reroot Circles for Management teams can support the professional development of leaders and managers in your organization at reboot.io slash circles for teams.